This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Guys, I have been um, looking forward to doing this series, and I hope you've uh, been looking forward to hearing it. Uh, we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk about sex. Uh, somebody said I'm going to do that song, which I, I, they tried to sing to me. I think it goes like, "Let's talk about sex." Da, da, talk about you and me. Let's da 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 da. da. Yeah, so we're going to do that. We're going to do that. But I've got an illustration which I'd like um, Flick to sort out for me. I've got two pieces of paper. No, you can sit down. It's all right. Two bits of paper and some glue. And I, I, I just want you to glue them together, all the lot, and then we'll do something with it later, okay? Right, okay. So, um, it's really difficult doing this PowerPoint because I'm thinking I, I don't want to cause any of you to stumble. I did ask Andy to keep the, the youth in. Because, let's face it, they know a lot more about sex than we do. Uh, I'm not going to give you examples of my naivety, uh, but let's face it, 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 it's everywhere, isn't it? You know, you just, every film, so we foolishly uh, recommended to our kids on family film night that we'd watch this particular film. And you know you've watched it as adults. Does it work? It wasn't an adult film. Don't please mishear me. You've got to be really careful. You've got to really tread carefully with this one. But we watched this film as adults, and then we watched it with kids, and we thought, oh my word, it's really a bit naughty. And, um, and it's films, and it's magazines, and it's billboards. You know, um, I'm surprised there's not more road accidents with the kind of... You know, everywhere you just drive in, you know, you keep your eyes on the road. Uh, I mean, it's just everywhere. You, magazines, it used to be when I was a kid, the top row would be kind of covered up the magazines. Obviously, I couldn't look, I was quite small. Uh, whatever. And then going down, the, the magazines got a bit cleaner. But now, you know, it's DIY, and it's some girl, isn't it, with a screwdriver, you know, whatever. Yeah, and it's just, it is. You know, car magazines... Everything. It, it, sex is everywhere. In fact, um, when we got our TV channels, you, know, you just don't want you just don't want to watch the, the MTV or those movie channels, do you? Because really, I mean, whatever the song these days, it seems like there's some kind of bling and some bikinis, and everywhere it's just sex everywhere. I, I found these these stats: thirty thousand people globally are online looking for porn every second. The porn industry earns, or the, uh, just the porn industry, or the wider sex industry, I hate that term, but earns 90 billion per year. 
That's 50 times more than the world spends on food aid to the poor. It's just massive. Our society is obsessed with sex. Discussions about sex and sexuality fill the news channels. Horrific stories of abuse. It was on the, in the papers again this weekend that Jimmy Savile, Jimmy Savile groomed a nation. That was on the, uh, on the Independent. It takes time up in Parliament, gay marriage, takes time up in church, show men and women vicars, gay vicars, whatever. It's just everywhere we've just got this kind of sex invasion. So obviously, we need to talk about it. Uh, we don't, you know, the thing about churches, oh, we better not talk about it. But actually, we need to talk about it. And actually, be honest, churches are a little bit obsessed with sex. You can drip with pride. You can reek with selfishness. You can parade your materialism. You can exercise your lazy commercialism. You can wag your gossiping tongue and it barely rates a disapproving nod. But... Admit you have issues with sex or marriage and in most churches you like quickly experience a shocking inconsistency. It's not that. Issues about sex and sexuality don't matter. They do. They really do. But we can be really like, just like the society outside, that, you know, if you do something inappropriate, we can, there's no grace, but you can be proud or arrogant or controlling. And so we're obsessed with sex. You know, we're obsessed with sex by just nervous about it, just get it all out of shape. So what I want to do in this series, and I borrowed this, the slide from PJ Smythe. Don't read it, go and listen to all his tapes, because otherwise then you'd nick my material. No, I did listen to him, I read a lot of books. Uh, there's a book by Mark Driscoll. Some of the stuff that Mark Driscoll does annoys me, but actually his book... Uh, on love and marriage, sexuality. I can't remember what it's called. It was very helpful. I read a book by Tim Keller. I always read him. He's very helpful. And a book by a friend of mine called Matt Hosier called Sex Talk. So I've read other stuff, but, but PJ did a series, and this is his bumper. Just rather than pay our, pay our designer to have a bumper, I thought we'd use his. Um, and, but I don't want to really bring down... My aim is not to like the bring the hammer down hard on you guys for all your sexual challenges and stuff and... Uh, you know, and comment on your marriages and comment on this and that and the other. You know, there's far too many uh, church leaders who do that and then you find out they're in immorality. So the aim is not for me to bring heavy-handed condemnation or point the accusing finger at the world and say, you know, out there, the things they do. And it's not, and not, no, I don't want to do this either. I don't want to play catch up with modern liberal attitudes. You know that you get this, you get some guy, some church leader on the, uh, on the news, and the newsman says, well, don't you think the church is a little bit behind the times? And we, we need to catch up, and, you know, we need to be more modern. And, and sometimes they say, yes, it's very important that we reflect society. You know, but they should be saying, no, no, no. In fact, the first slide, I think, says that actually, biblical views or biblical ethics, that means what you believe and what you do about sex and sexuality and marriage, have never been the world's views. There's never been this golden age where the world followed the Bible's view. You know, you might think, when I was growing up as a kid, you might think, you know, it was 1960s, it was just the birth of the kind of permissive society, the sexual revolution. You might think, well, in the 1950s, Nobody did anything inappropriate. Everybody was good and proper, but actually you just had this veneer, outside veneer, but actually the world has never lived. 
It's always been separate. The, art, the Christian biblical view of sex and sexuality has always been separate from the world. It's not like, it's just now, it's the contrast is much more stark because the masks are off and everybody's saying, well, what the heck? So it's not like we're trying to catch up or trying to go back to some Calcian days of medieval Christendom where everybody was sexually pure. It just never happened. The fact is that we're getting more like Bible times. Where the, 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 the time where, where Paul is writing his letters to Corinthians, I'm dipping and out of that today, where Paul's writing his letter to Greek culture in Corinthians, they were, they were doing it. They were doing it in the temple, thousand temple prostitutes. They, there's a guy sleeping with his, uh, sleeping with his mother. You know, the, the, it's just, it was out there. You know, the, the, the Roman society, the, this was the phrase, uh, a, a woman for necessity, a man for f- pleasure and a goat for fantasy. That was like a phrase. They were just out there, unrestrained, and that was the world that the, the church was birthed into. Uh, it was birthed into this kind of completely unrestrained uh, society where there was no veneer of sexual purity. They just thought, what the heck? It doesn't matter what you do. And, and Jesus followers, our lives have always uh, what we need, how do we cope with this? Jesus follows us to live our lives standing apart from the culture, but in the middle of the culture. So you don't say, oh, can't talk about it. They've done what? Oh, my word. And you know, so, so you talk, you kind of hide away from it. We don't like to talk about it. Or you stand outside the culture throwing rocks and saying, what up's about this and what happened about that and placarding everywhere. We are to be in the culture, but not of the culture. Jesus says, be in the world, but of the world. That's what we're going to do. So I want to, today I just want to do an intro about sex, etc. I want to explore three, uh, three points. So sex as irresistible, an appetite to feed. Clearly, the pictures are not going to be, they're like metaphorical, all right? Burgers, all right? You get the idea. You know, if you type sex as irresistible, you don't really want to put the images up in church. Or the second point is sex as indecent. Rolling around in the mud of bad behaviour. Ooh, dirty. Ooh, madam, yes. Ooh, yes. Ooh, ooh, really naughty, naughty. That kind of thing. Uh, And then, uh, or demeaning. Oh, shocking, isn't it? Shocking, the thing that people do. Or last one, sex as image. And I thought, well, when you say sex as image, you think, yeah, sex as image. But actually, I don't mean sex as image like that. I mean sex as image like this. Okay? Sex imaging, the, uh, the sex between a husband and wife images God and the gospel. Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. If you, I just thought I'd tell you where I was going this morning in case you're getting nervous. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we just pray as we go into this series that would really, you'd challenge some of our silly ideas. You chuck out some of our wrong ideas and you'd help us to embrace the season we're in, whether we're single or married, or getting married, and you'd help us to not get our sex and sexuality out of shape, but Lord, we want to have a God shape. Lord, you're not scared of sex, you invented it, you made it, you created it, you designed it on the drawing board. We'll have that there, and we'll have that, and that bit there sticking out, and that bit there. Lord, you did all that, and you're not ashamed of it. Adam and Eve in the garden, unashamed but naked. And we say, Lord, help us to rediscover 
to be refreshed, reformed, redeemed in our views of sex and sexuality. Amen. Okay, so how you view sex often depends on your body. Uh, somebody said to me, is it this okay for teenagers? I think teenagers know more about it. But, you know, basically, if you think your, bo- your body's plumbing, you know, it's got different tubes and pipes and bits and pieces and there's kind of fluids that flow down the pipes and into other pipes and holes and stuff. But if you think, it's all right, Jotham, it's fine, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if you think that it's DNA and plumbing... Tubes and fluids, glands and groans, I've read that in a book, glands and groans, then basically sex is just this animal urge. There was a song uh, in the 1990s, it says, you and me baby are nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Yeah? Uh, You know, so it is, you watch Africa in super high definition, it's all about sex, isn't it? The giraffe wants to, the man giraffe wants to have sex with the woman giraffe and the, the, the rhino's got the horn and all that. You know, it's just, it is, it's, it's all over. It is going to be like that, I'm sorry. Okay, and, and so, you know, if you think it's all about plumbing and bits of tube, then, then, then basically your attitude is, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. Phil Collins is show my age. If it feels good, do it. You don't need a reason. That's what he says. And actually, it's interesting, I don't get many reactions to when I tweet, but I tweeted, um, how, how should uh, Jesus followers live in a sex-saturated society? Question mark. This Sunday at God First starts its new preaching series, Sex, Etc. Now, obviously, some random is searching for sex, and they reply to my tweet, and this is what they say. He says, isn't the right... Um, it's fine, I'm glad he follows us. Isn't, it the, isn't the right answer whatever makes you feel happy? And that feels like... Whatever. Whatever sex makes you feel happy. Now, who's against happiness? Not me. It's like, who's against mums and apple pie? I'm not against happiness. You know, we like happiness. We want to be happy, don't we? Let's do whatever we want to feel happy. And let's face it. Sex actually releases opium-like substances in your brain when you have sex. So it's like a heroin fix. You can see why people want to be happy. Yes, sex makes people happy. But actually, there's other appetites that I feel we should really just be unrestrained in. So, I would like to eat food. Uh, Food makes me feel happy. If you want to feel sorry for me, on a a, a Wednesday or Thursday, if Naomi's out and and I'm uh, uh, alone working in my office, you know, I just want to have some food. Can I have some food? And I think, I think let's go down to see Carl and get a nice steak. Oh no, I better not. And, you know, and there's the thing is, we can do that with appetites. Whatever makes you feel happy. You've all done that this Christmas, haven't you? Oh, whatever makes you feel happy. But the bottom line is, it, if you, Tim, Tim Keller says this. Indeed, whatever the levels of intensity of our desire for food, it's not good simply to gratify yourself. Just doing what makes you feel happy has inevitable consequences. You look at the kind of obesity stats in the world, you look at the messed up way that we deal with food and you get an understanding. We've just got a new puppy. He's a Labrador poodle. And Labrador's, he's not greedy actually, he's pretty good. It's obviously the poodle in him that's making him behave. But somebody said, if you've just let Labradors eat, 
put a tin of food out and just eat it. Put another tin in. How many tins do you reckon? You, some of you know the answer to this. How many tins will a Labrador go before it vomits up? 17 tins of food. So it's basically saying like an animal will eat 17 days worth of food before it says, Bleh. yeah? So it's not like, well, we're just animals with appetite because the bottom line is we know that actually if you eat too much, it's bad for your health. If you eat too little, it's bad for your health. That doesn't mean if you have less sex, it's bad for your health. It's not the same. But, what we, but, but it seems like, well, if you, have, if you don't have sex, there's, there's, no, there's no drawback to unrestrained sex. That's what we think, isn't it? I was watching, my kids watch too much Friends, and there was one, Chandler's proposing to Monica. Yeah, it was this week. Chandler's proposing to Monica on a rerun, and, 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 and she's cross with him about some reason, and he gets down on one knee, and she said, you know, is, the, is being sorry a reason to get married? And he then says, no, but getting pregnant is. As if like, oh my word, you want to get married with somebody if you've met them pregnant. And there's this sort of sense where, you know, there's no physical drawbacks. But actually, we know we can deal with that. So what happened in the 1960s was, we found a way, a chemical way to deal with that. So people in their 50s, and in the 1950s and 40s, they think, well, you know, there were ways to deal with it, but it wasn't as easy. But now with a pill, you can have sex and there's no drawback. You just can't, you know, kids... Okay, there was the rest of sexually transmitted diseases, you know, the pox, syphilis, but now there's, you know, people have injections, whatever, we can sort it out. There seems to be no drawback. And HIV, which kind of peaked for a while and sexual activity went down for a while, actually HIV's not gone away, it's just people have stopped talking about it. The porn industry stopped talking about it, the sex industry stopped talking about it, because actually it made people think, oh, hang on a minute. But nobody said stop, so we'll just do it safely. And so, the, the argument uh, about, well, let's just let it go, it's not just happened in the 1960s, it's been going on forever. People have been justifying their sampling of various sexual cuisines, new taste sensations, whatever's on offer. People have been using sex-like foods since Paul's time, since Bible times. In fact, Paul, the, the, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, it, it says this, Ooh. Oh, no, I thought my notes got out. So in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, it, they use the phrase, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Food for the stomach, stomach food. What the implication is, well, you've got a stomach, well, you better eat. There's food, so you better have a stomach. And you can do your own little, without getting too rude about it, you can do your own little sex version, can't you? You can choose a body part, Body part for sex, sex for a body part. It's there, so we better do it. And, and so it's right there in, in Paul's time. And, um, but Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. We're just getting it all wrong. We're not just bodies. We're not just bodies. It, he says, yes, you say food for the stomach and stomach for food, but God's going to destroy them both. He says, the body, however, was not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The Lord is spiritual, he's not physical. So they're saying there's a spiritual dynamic to it. In fact, Sting, you know, Sting, a musician from the police and whatever, he says sex is spiritual. He's into uh, tantric sex, I think, which is like kind of Kama Sutra type, I don't know, whatever. Him and his wife are well into it. They're like evangelists for this stuff. And, um, and you know, he says sex is spiritual. And actually, as I said, you know, in, in Corinth... A thousand temple prostitutes. 
sex was worship. It's not far from saying worship of sex to sex for worship. I mean, in fact, some of the kind of occult things, you do do that. It's part of how you do worship. The sex is part of worship. And if our sexual appetites run free, we soon find the pursuit of our desires becomes the ground of our identity. We're defined by our sexual desires. We're defined by our sexual persuasion. So people will say, I, I, this is me. What do you do? I'm a homosexual. I'm a heterosexual. I'm bisexual. Or I'm, an, I'm a sexaholic. Or we get defined by our sexual desires. And, and the thing is that if sex is your God... When you lose your God, you're miserable and terrible and you make sacrifices to your God to obtain it. Thoughts and words and deeds, days and planning and pounds are consumed with religious zeal for, I must worship at the altar of sex. And actually, it's no big, it's not different. It's been like this, ever like this. So in, in Israel, um, they used to have pole dancing. It was called Asherah worship. Basically, they have these long, poles are just you know phallic symbols basically and the temple prostitutes would dance around them and then the the, the worshippers would come and have sex with the temple prostitutes that's how you did your worship you know oh but worse than that what about Moloch was a he's this fertility god and the way that god the god was worshipped then was even worse they'd have sex the lady get pregnant, and when the baby was pregnant, they'd throw the baby on the on, on like an altar fire or this fire. They'd sacrifice their babies on the fire. And actually, you think, well, that doesn't happen in our day, but it's there, isn't it? Today, the worship of sex leads to pole dancing and prostitution and pornography, and the sacrifice of unborn children in abortion. Make no mistake, sex for worship. Sex is, a, as sex is a demanding God. And if you want to bow down to him, you will never be satisfied. But the fact is, sex is more than spiritual. Paul goes on to say, using the message translation, says there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical act. As it's written in scripture, the two become one. Deep down, we know that just like our appetites for food, our sex drives need some guidance. We can't just let it all go. What we do with our bodies affects who we are inside. So if you're going to try whatever, wherever, whoever, however sex with multiple partners, somehow you've got to deny that you're, that you're more than just your body. Because actually what you do is you, you join yourself with someone when you have sex with them. You join yourself more than just your body. Your body is joined and intertwined, but actually you're joined with them emotionally and spiritually. And when you take that, if you say, I'm going to have sex with multiple partners, basically what you're saying is, I'm going to deny that actually there's something of me given in sex. And the thing is, the reason why we like to divorce body from spirit is because... Of, of what a guy called Plato said. There's a quote here. It should, okay, this is Plato. Do you know who this, who this lady is? Demi Moore. Do you know what the film? Did you see me Googling it? Stop it. You see, you don't help. <laughs> decent proposal. In Indecent Proposal, the, you know the story? 
rich guy, Woody Holson, or I think he's, I can't remember if he's the husband or the, or the rich guy, whatever. But he says to Demi Moore, I'll give you a million pounds if you sleep with me. And she says this, she says this to her husband, don't worry, it's only my body, not my soul. But you can't separate the two. It was Plato who said you can separate the two. Plato said, down here, that's the lower nature. That's the bad, dirty, lower nature. And up here is the spiritual nature. So you know what happened in Corinth? That up here could speak in tongues. So they think, well, that's my higher nature. And the lower nature can sleep with his mother. And, that, and it's, the two are unconnected because they're separated. So Paul, Paul has to say to them, whoa, time out. What you do with your body matters. Flee from sexual immorality. He's got to say that. But at the same time, there were other people who were platonic. You know, if you say you have a platonic relationship, it means you're not doing anything physical. People said, Plato's right, that, 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 that sex is this deep down dirty kind of stuff. So men, were, men and women were not having sex together. Husbands and wives, sorry, not men and women. Husbands and wives were not having sex together because they thought, oh, it's dirty. Husbands and wives, Paul says, don't deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time that means you don't devote yourself to the week of prayer. But So there's this sense of stop, go. And you think, well, what is it? And actually the church has had a wrong view. Let's go to the next slide. The church has had this view, actually, no, let, let, stop, stop, stop. It's all dirty. It's all lower nature. It's all platonic naughtiness. So let's have a, a different way. So you think, well, the only way we can be moral is have no sex at all. So this, this, this I got this from PJ. You have to laugh. This basically, he, he, <laughs> he said, the church basically had this idea that you only had sex if you wanted a baby. Which means that basically my, my mum and dad did it four times. If they had a 100% home run rate. But you know, you, you think when you tell your kids that, they think, so you know, our kids think, what, you've done it more than three times? You know, and, and, and basically you weren't supposed to do it to procreate and, and you weren't supposed to enjoy it. So you go to the priest and say, and he'd be, I don't know, he'd, whatever, single guy, we'll get into that in a minute, and he's asking what you've been up to and he's checking you didn't enjoy it. Don't you dare enjoy it. And there's this idea that sex was naughty and dirty and do it. So here's some guy's response. Thank you, PJ, for these. Uh, actually, he nicked them from uh, Mark Driscoll, but never mind. Um, a guy called Ambrose in the 4th century, he said this, better the extinction of the human race than that we partake in sex. It's so dirty and demeaning, and oh, we better not do it. Here's another guy called Origin, 3rd century, so fearful of the flaming passions of sex that he castrated himself. Imagine that in your three, I'm struggling with sexual <laughs> sin. Next week, oh. <laughs> I've dealt with it. <laughs> yeah, I've dealt with it. <laughs> That's why I did it deep, so he just knew that I didn't. That wasn't mine. Here's another guy. Jerome used to throw himself in the bramble bushes every time he felt the urge. You know, you can imagine him round the corner from us where I take my dog for a walk. There's all these blokes in the bramble bushes. Oh, you know. <laughs> what does, uh, PJ says, I don't know what's wrong with a cold shower. What's wrong with the cup? And this is the best, the funniest one of all. Francis of Assisi. Oh, we love Francis of Assisi, don't we? Love, he loves the animals. What? Do you know what he used to do when he got the urge? He'd go up into the mountains and make a snow woman 
and caress her. <laughs> He'd caress the snow woman to, to, so he didn't have real urges for real women. Man, guys, churches have been well messed up on this. So by the 5th century, do you know what they're doing? They're saying priests, a.k.a. church leaders, we don't believe in priests, we're all priests, but full-time church ministers, priests, whatever, they were forbidden from marrying at all. It's so dirty. Don't do it at all. Women became nuns, gave themselves to the Lord. Now, there is a place for singleness. But it's not to be enforced by, you can't do that unless you do that. So uh, this, this, this made me laugh. So actually, by the time of the 5th century, the church was forbidding sex a lot. So married couples on holy days could not have sex. So no sex, please, on Thursdays in memory of the Lord's arrest. Okay, so Thursday, we're okay. On Friday, in memory of the crucifixion. (laughs) No sex on Friday or Thursday. On Saturday, in honour of the Virgin Mary. What's she got to do with it? Anyway, you're not allowed sex. Okay, and then Sunday to celebrate Christ's resurrection. <laughs> and then Monday, respect for the departed souls. <laughs> you think, so basically you're only allowed to have t- sex on two days of the week. So it's funny, so PJ said, it was brilliant, he said, you can just imagine downtown Joburg, you know, on Thursday, on Tuesday and Wednesday, all the people are leaving their offices early. <laughs> you know, all the kids, mums, there's no clubs, all the, every, every kids are on in club, but no one can staff them. And they're thinking, hey, hallelujah, it's Tuesday and Wednesday. <laughs> and you know, that's what it was like. You didn't talk about sex. And, um, but, but actually there's, there's a sense where, why have we got that out of shape? Sex isn't dirty. But actually, I can understand, because there is a dirty and demeaning side of sex. I, re- I saw on the radio this morning, as I was having my breakfast, uh, Bernardo's, now, oh, the stats I looked up said a thousand incidents of sexual exploitation of children. That was last year's stats. The new, this year's stats have just come, come out. They've gone 84%. So almost doubled. Unrestrained abuse, rape, traffic of kids. It's in our society. It is dirty. Those involved in adult prostitution, different surveys suggest between 66 and 95% of them were abused as children. Nearly two-thirds of prostitutes have been raped. 75% of attempted suicide and 15% of all suicide deaths in the States are from women who've been involved in the sex industry. Now, there's a thing that came out on the Huffington Post say, actually, women involved in sex industry have got the best self-image. It's a lie. But, you know, it's, it, it's again, gang rape of a woman in India. On the news again this morning, another incident. Nation up in arms. When Naomi went to India, and I'm sure if some of you, others have been to India, you know, they, they, they feel it's, what, what's it called? Eve baiting, do you think? Eve teasing. I heard about the, in Egypt now, when Mubarak's gone, and we're in one sense we're glad he's gone, but there's a sense, if a woman doesn't go out wearing a burqa, she's fine, just touch her up, because she's asking for it. We, you know, we've got victims of celebrities and Catholic priests. We've got spouses. Father can't relate to the, the mother because he's giving himself to porn. We've even now got women making Fifty Shades of Grey the bestseller. There are dirty and, uh, and stuff. And, and what are we supposed to do with it? Tim Keller says this. Tim Keller writes, Is sex dirty and demeaning? No. 
Is sex dirty and demeaning? No. Biblical Christianity may be the most body positive religion in the world. Islam is not body positive. Not against Islam in that sense, but it's not body positive. The women have to cover themselves up. You're not even allowed to draw pictures of bodies. It's not body positive. Christianity is the most body positive religion in the world. It teaches that God made the material world and the physical bodies and so it was good. Whatever Plato says, no, the physical world and the physical bodies is good. It says that, in, that Jesus Christ, God himself, actually took on a human body. Which, will be still, which he still has in glorified form and someday going to give us. It says that God created sexuality and gave a woman and a man to each other in the beginning. The Bible contains great love poetry that celebrates sexual passion. If anyone says that sex is bad or dirty in itself, the whole Bible contradicts him. Again, I have to thank PJ for finding these, these funnies. But this is from the Song of Solomon. It's a, a rela- a, a, some poetry about a man uh, pursuing a woman and a woman responding to the man. It's in a context, I believe, of a marriage. Uh, Jewish boys under the age of 12 were not allowed to read it because it was too much of a turn-on. I've read it through a number of times. I think, obviously, I'm missing something. But, <laughs> but I found this, which is really funny. Here's the husband speaking, not in a prudish or perverted way, but in a fun way. It says, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit I will he says I will climb the palm tree and take hold of the fruit imagine that you come home from work you say I'm feeling I'm feeling all biblical today I'm feeling very biblical today I'm going to climb the palm tree and take hold of the fruit your wife goes what oh what about this one this is even worse you say oh it's so naughty two chapters back and actually the NIV Tones it down a little bit. I had to do a bit of digging around. Here's one. She celebrates his ivory tusk, veined with blue sapphires. Oh, my word. (laughs) PJ says, he's no elephant. Oh, well, the Bible is obviously uh, really out of shape, isn't it? No, no, but actually, sex is not an irresistible appetite. It's something that needs to be controlled because there are more than just bodies. It's not indecent when it's done properly and in the right context. It is dirt and demeaning out of context, but it's not. But actually, let's just finish. But actually, sex images God and the gospel. I could have said loads of things. The books that you read say sex is a gift, sex is for, for kids, and they're true. Sex is to make children, and sex is a gift to, to, to married couples. But actually, one of the most remarkable things, I think, is that actually that, that, that our bodies, men's and women's bodies, are, are made with the bits they've got. You know, I, I'm not going to mention it because I, I can feel you all worrying about Song of Solomon, never mind. You know, but there's bits on a, a woman's body that like, are, not, are not there apart from sex and pleasure. What else are they there for? Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to make women uh, kind of an object but, the, but there's, the, the, it's all designed, isn't it? It's designed to be good. It's designed to, to feel good. Now, if you're single, you can survive without sex. Jesus was fully, fully, fully a man and didn't have sex. 
So don't, let's not get out of shape. Let's not be sex obsessed and say, you know, your life is not fulfilled unless you have sex. One of the problems we, we've started to believe, isn't it, that actually that, my life isn't fulfilled unless I have sex. So if you're single, you think, my life isn't fulfilled unless, I have a, uh, unless I've got a partner and I'm having sex. That's basically saying sex is your saviour. Sex is what you need to fulfil you. No, Jesus is the saviour. He's the one you need to fulfil you. What, sexually? No, but he can come to you in an intimate way that actually is better. But let's just talk about sex in, in how the act of sex between a man and a wife can have works. Sex involves, Matt Hosier in his book writes, sex involves getting completely intertwined and interconnected with another human being. Sex is the most intimate of human encounters. It involves the exchange of warmth and touch and bodily fluids. Having sex with someone is literally to mingle yourself with them. Your DNA and their DNA are mingled together. But it's more than we're just a body. I've said already that, that actually sex is spiritual. What the body does... The Spirit does. Jesus talks on, he says three things about sex. He's got it in, he says more about money than sex. Three things about sex. He says this, in Matthew 19, he quotes approvingly from Genesis 1, in the beginning, the Creator, God made them male and female. So he identifies male and female. In all the debate that's going around, that was the basic design, man and a woman. Then Jesus quotes from Genesis 2, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother... And, be, and cleave or be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What God has joined together, uh, Jesus adds, let no person divide. Combine these two truths and you have what the basic idea of what sex is about. Man and woman together to become one flesh. There's an exclusive, permanent marriage bond. And then he adds... Uh, in case everybody's wondering what else is about sex, he just adds in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, uh, don't look at one with lust in your eyes, but he says, it's basically saying, sex is not for any other context, not even for your thought life. Don't even think about having sex outside marriage. When Jesus says a man and wife become one flesh, they're not just talking about, excuse me here, they're not just talking about Shakespeare's beast with two backs. Yeah, they're not just talking about that kind of sense where you become one flesh for the moment of sex. You know, but there's a, bo- a bonding and a uniting and a joining that's unique. The maths, of, the maths of sex and marriage is one plus one equals one. The unity is so profound, says Tim Keller, that you virtually become a new person. The word joined or cleaved it, that Jesus meant talked about the uniting of two separate legal entities, two separate social groups, two separate economic entities. It's literally a, a merger. And so when, when you join together in sex, you're, you're gluing yourself to a person. This is what, uh, let's hope this has worked. It might not have. Okay? You're gluing yourself to a person. So if you want to have sex with multiple partners, what you have to do is you've got to put the glue and then you've got to... It worked really well. You've got to sort of separate yourself. And what you're just not the same. You know, there's that old song by Paul Young, as anyone knows, it says, every time you go away, you take a little piece of me with you. 
If you want multiple sexual partners, that's what you're doing. You're joining yourself together. Oh, I'm not a spiritual person. You are. If you deny that you're a spiritual person, you're saying there's really nothing to me but plumbing and pipes. And when you join yourself together with someone and then tear it apart, inevitably you leave more than your DNA. You connect yourself with them. You tie yourself together. Because sex, what sex is meant to do, it's meant to join you together with someone. So that when you tear that apart, there's something of you left in that situation that you can never give to the hopefully one partner you say, this is for me. This is my gift to you. All that I am, I give to you. In the name of Christ, that's what the wedding says. Yeah, It doesn't say all that's left after I've joined myself and left loads of little bits with everybody else. God is faithful. When he joins himself, he doesn't rip it apart. We can rip ourselves apart from him, but he doesn't rip himself apart apart from us. When he gives himself, he does so, writes uh, Glenn Shrivener, utterly, exclusively, irreversibly, and unconditionally forever. When you have sex with someone, you're saying, I give myself to you utterly, exclusively, irreversibly, and unconditionally for life. That's what God does. It images him. If you receive the love of God, he's never going to take his love away from you. When Jesus, you literally, when you get married, you literally donate your life to each other. You say, this is me, I give my life to you, I donate it to you. Body and soul, uniting act. So when Jesus gives himself to us on the cross, he gives his love for us and he's never going to take it away. Jesus has poured out and donated his love and on the, his love-filled life on the cross that we might be his. There's an intimacy between you and Jesus if you're a Christian. Now the fact is, you are going to be intimate with your sexual God. And actually, if you want to be intimate with Jesus, you're going to find a totally different connection around sex. Jesus is, is it says about, it says, us in Christ. Christ in us. There's a, there's a kind of intimacy about being a Christian that's not sex, but sex images it. God hasn't learned to love. You've heard me say this so many times. God hasn't learned to love for all eternity, but, but, but he's lived forever as a, a one, a united, a joined, a bonded single person of three. The father completely intertwined and intertang- entangled in the loving embrace of his son and the son embracing his father. The father giving himself to the son and the son giving himself to the father. There's a loving intimacy that's in God that's utterly, exclusively, irreversibly and unconditionally giving of themselves to each other. The Father can't help it. This is my beloved Son. I'm well pleased. There's a connection between man, between God and God. There's a connection in the Gospel between us and God that's, that's, that's like sex. That when you have sex in the right context, there's a a man and wife, it, it images that close, close connection. Sex between a man and a woman points to the love between the father and son as well as between Christ and the believer, or it points elsewhere. Nearly done here. 
The God and Father of Jesus is not some cold and faraway God who has no love and no emotions to give. Nor is he a self-absorbed God who's only interested in control and power. One of the things that's sad about pornography is it's about control and power. The images in pornography are about control and power. Men controlling women. It's about control and power. It's not about <coughs> self-giving love. It's about self-absorption. It's about sex for my appetite. It's about as dirty and as risky and as far as possible. Where he is all about giving himself purely and unconditionally. If we learn to walk with him, we can learn to do that in our marriage. I wrote this, there is a God who is, who is self-absorbed, who seeks not to give, but to rob and to steal and destroy and degrade, to enslave and control. He loves unfaithfulness because he's a liar and a deceiver. Satan will do, when you're not married, will do everything he can to get you into bed because he wants to join you and then rip you apart and mess you up to rob and to steal and destroy you. But if you're married, he'll do everything he can to stop you having sex because he hates that faithful union, that joining together, that sacrificial, I give myself to you, you give yourself to me. So let me just finish with this. It's a... a quote, a longish quote from a book called, by, called My Father the Porn Addict. It's not about porn, but I think it, it says about porn. Basically, this girl found out, she wondered why her father was disconnected, couldn't relate to her, was far away, there was issues, and she found he had a huge stack of porn. It was in the days when porn was in paper rather than on the net. And, and she, she reflected on it, and she writes this, Sexual sin peddles a lie that tells us that love, respect and mutual honour are relational window dressing. In other words, it's a nice shop front. Behind the closed doors though, it's much more about fantasy and pain and animalistic lusts. Loving commitment and kindness are like mating calls. The real business is about taking not mating. People talk about relationships and fidelity, but actually, and this is where I got that quote from, actually it's about glands and groans. On the surface it's love and trust, but underneath it's power and control and gratification. Dark, she says, primeval, and bubbling away beneath the surface. A bit later on she says, let's cut to the chase. God is as he is towards us. God is as he is towards us. God is not different behind closed doors. He does not display sacrificial love as window dressing. Push through to the deepest depths of God and you will find a faithful, marital, self-giving love that gives itself again and again to the other. His gracious gospel offers a not mating calls to woos back home And then he's really about power and gratification. No, he's love all the way down. I thought it's so true if you're trying to deal with sexual sin. Not every God will help you with sexual sin. There are many gods who are power and gratification, pure and simple. There are many Christian doctrines of God that offer split personality God, sacrificial in public, selfish in private. But just imagine, what if actually 
the passions that determine us are intimate, committed, self-denying love to the other. What if respect and self-giving love and grace are really what's bubbling away beneath the surface? What if serving the other is what drives the world, not using the other? What if giving and not getting is ultimate? She finishes with this and I'll finish with this. Let's fling wide those doors that we're always closing because we imagine the world really isn't like that and that darkness really rules the roost. Let's declare that Jesus is Lord, that this really is Christ's universe. Light and love really is the world driving force, not darkness. And all the other stuff is parasitic, corrupted, ugly, unnatural, ephemeral and passing away. Just stand with me if you would. Lord, we, all of us perhaps in one way or another, need to repent of what we've made sex. Some of us who've let our appetites run unrestrained, in the dark places when the doors are closed, seeking after this God and saying, I need you, God of sex. Other of us have felt the kind of, it's dirty, oh yes. Or we've felt, no, it's dirty, I can't talk about it. Other of us have felt lost and think, when will I be fulfilled? Because I need to have sex. And Lord, we want to come to you. We want to come to you who's forever lived, intertwined, Father, Son and Spirit. We want to come to you who offers your very life to us. And we say, God, would you help us to reshape our sex, our view of sex, reshape our desires. Lord, we're sorry for the way we've made it. We want to get back to how you made it. We want to understand it's a man and a wife and it's forever. Unconditional, irreversible, completely yielded. Lord, we say, if we're single, help us. If we're married, Lord, help us. Where the enemy wants to separate us out, make us have sex when we're not married to demonstrate unfaithfulness and rip us apart again and again and again. And where we're married, Lord, help us to find those moments to join each other, to connect each other, to to understand that we find in sex a, a hint of the intimacy and the closeness and the love and the sharing of life that you want to have with us. So Lord, we reject the false God of taking and self-absorption and we say, Lord, it's you that we want. It's you that we want. Shape us, Lord Jesus. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.